I figured out why I was so bitchy yesterday. Yes, you did so, mention. As you know, I got off birth control like six months ago, so I'm on like a hormonal journey right now. Apparently, when you ovulate, you have like a huge spike in progesterone. And I'm like, I think I ovulated like literally yesterday, according to natural cycles. Mm -hmm. And I, so I Googled like, what can a spike in progesterone do? And it's, it was like irritability, weight gain, anxiety. Yeah. So you were spot on. You guessed that was it. Well, well, was coming in college. I started my period yesterday and it was just like the worst. I got off my IUD, what, like a year ago now? And I, I used to have really bad cramps before, like debilitating. And then when, my period came back after my ID. It was fine. Now it's getting worse. So I'm like, oh, I go back. <laughs> but you're on the pill, right? Mm -mm, no. Oh, no. right. You're just raw dogging it, as am I. Just raw dogging it, <laughs> as we like to say. <laughs> Speaking of hormonal crazy women, I'm really excited about today's baddie. We did a last minute pivot. If you listened to the last episode, we <laughs> ended it by previewing our science themed right, episode, science. which was to be today. We pivoted. It we was a hard pivot. We couldn't do it. Nothing against Marie Curie, who was the previous subject. She was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize. She did like all these first great things. Her life wasn't spicy enough. It just didn't do it for us. She was a physicist with like radioactivity, I, I right. believe. The one thing I was looking forward to talking through with you about that episode though, which maybe we can somehow work in somewhere else, Yeah, was when we got drinks last week. You said that you believe the law of attraction can be explained through logic. And I thought that might be an interesting, like, sciencey thing to talk about. Oh, I don't remember saying that, but that's a whole rabbit hole we could definitely go down. I know it is. All right, yeah, we'll, we'll circle back to that. So today's baddie that we have pivoted to and has turned out to be a wealth of spice and all kinds of interesting things is Nellie Bly. Every week, it, I think it's, it's like my new favorite baddie. So, okay. Nellie was born in 1864. She was born Elizabeth Jane Cochran. Nellie is actually her pen name, which came later. She is a journalist. Her mom and Nellie and her two brothers basically fell into poverty. So Nellie pulled out of school and stopped working at age 15 to support her family, already doing batty things, starting young. So Nellie had a hard time finding work as compared to her brothers. And finally, at age 20, she's pretty fed up. And she reads this article in the Pittsburgh Dispatch which was a newspaper then, called What Girls Are Good For. And it's this article about like how women belong in the home and how a woman in britches is laughable. So Nellie puts pen to paper and writes an open letter to the editor, just ripping him apart and ripping apart What Girls Are Good For, the piece he wrote. And he was so impressed that he put out an open call of who wrote this, I want your name. Nellie did him one better showed up to person in the office and was like, here I am. And he hired her on the spot. So she went to Mexico for six months and traveled around reporting back on corruption amongst the government and government officials and conditions of the poor. Her critical articles made the Mexican government really angry and she was expelled from the country. So she moves to New York City and eventually she just stormed into the office of the New York world and was like, I demand to write for you and I demand to work here. And the editor, Joseph Pulitzer, who you might recognize the name Pulitzer, he challenged her to infiltrate and investigate New York's most notorious mental asylum, Blackwell Island. And she said, done. And I believe the quote is, I said I could and I would and I did. So Nellie spent 10 days in a madhouse and subsequently wrote a series of articles called 10 Days in a Madhouse that were then turned into a book because they were so 
influential and popular and everyone wanted to read the whole story. She feigned insanity to get in. And 10 Days in a Madhouse changed everything. It raised awareness about mental health treatment and led to improvements in institutional conditions. And it also put investigative journalism on the map. But she's not done. So following the conclusion of this project, she gets this new idea. There was this like fiction novel called Around the World in 80 Days. And she was like, well, I'm just going to do it for real in less and write about it. And her editor was like, no, we can't have a woman do that. You need a chaperone and you're going to have way too many bags. I believe he said she needed a dozen trunks. And Nellie just wouldn't let it go. Finally, she heard that they were hiring a man to do it. And she said, that's fine. I'm going to go to a different newspaper and do it faster and better and I'm going to win. And he said, all right, just go. So she went with no chaperone and one handbag. She traveled the whole world in 72 days, and she called it a queen's ride. Everywhere she went, people knew about her journey. They greeted her. At 25, she was the most famous woman in the world. At age 30, she married a millionaire, helped him run his oil manufacturing and steel businesses, including several inventions that are still used in oil and steel today. She has a couple patents. And then she went back to journalism later, but died shortly after that from pneumonia. And in a tribute after her death, the acclaimed newspaper editor Arthur Bisbane remembered Bly as the best reporter in America. What a journey. I mean, she's got similar to Josephine Baker. She's got like three different kind of pillars of her being, and they're each worthy of a whole episode on their own. So let's talk about why she's bad, why she's a badass. Yeah, why she's bad. I read a lot of the 10 Days in a Madhouse book online, and there's a part where she talks about practicing being crazy and she's like staring in the mirror and just having wide eyes and like making different movements and motions. And I think today you have to be really careful to not get canceled for pretending to have like <laughs> mental issues. So somebody yeah. can say that practicing or pretending to be crazy might be bad in that way. It's a gray area because she did it for a cause. But it's always that intention versus impact. I'm just like, I'm stuck on the mental image you just painted of her like just staring <laughs> wild-eyed into the mirror, like moving jerkily, like out of a horror film. And I know you said something you want to talk about later is like, if you pretend to be mad, how long until you're actually mad? Yeah. I feel like if I did that in the mirror for like five minutes, I'd be like, I'm going I'm to go do some, do some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were definitely bad. I think about her two big journalism roles that came up in her career. She got by like barging in and fighting with the editor. And yeah. it's inspiring. It's definitely, you know, bad and badass. Bad in that at the time it was like rebellious and it still would be rebellious today. It's also kind of annoying just to get a job, just to stand out. She had to write an open letter and just run into the room. And what if you're just not one of those people that is super headstrong and outspoken and go-getter? That just automatically means there's no place for you in the workforce as a woman. Those women are typically labeled many different things, whether it's aggressive, assertive, if we're being nice, and crazy then comes to mind, which is a word that is all over Nellie's story. Uh, since she spent some time in that insane asylum. So one of the yeah. things that we want to talk through is, you know, the stereotype of women being crazy. I don't know. Was it easier to be labeled that in the past than it is today? Maybe if you actually just think about the mental health industry and the way we treat mental illness today, it's still flawed and it's still misunderstood. And there has been progress. If you read about mm -hmm. the conditions in the madhouse she was in, Here's a quote that says, a pretty young Hebrew woman spoke so little English, I couldn't get her story except from the nurses. 
They said her name is Sarah Fishbaum and that her husband put her in the asylum because she had a fondness for other men than himself. So you can imagine that this like young, pretty Hebrew woman just, I don't know, looked the wrong way at someone and her husband literally stuck her in a madhouse. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that it's even called a madhouse. I think we've made progress when it comes to just how we treat mental health. But we still call women crazy in the workplace way more than we would ever call a man that just for showing passion, emotion, tears. You have to be so careful to show any emotion as a woman, I feel like. Yeah, 100%. All it took was two signatures to put a woman into a sane asylum for the rest of her life. Uh, One, if it belonged to a judge. So it's this one typically male determining whether or not this person is crazy and that being a lifelong sentence. It's a similar repercussion for like murder a lifelong sentence into an institution. And I kind of wonder how much of that still goes on. I know from like the Free Britney movement, there was a lot of talk about these different institutions where people are just kind of sent away and it's not really talked about what goes on there and it's really clothed and veiled, which I think is such a cool part of of Nellie's testimony or story is that she was able to kind of uncover those, those processes. On that thread of crazy, I really liked this quote also from the 10 days in a madhouse, where she says, from the moment I entered the insane ward on the island, I made no attempt to keep up the assumed role of insanity. I talked and I acted just as I do in ordinary life. Yet strange to say, the more sanely I talked and acted, the crazier I was thought to be by all except one physician. So she acted crazy to get into the asylum, to get the label of crazy, And then once she had the label, the more normal she acted, the crazier she felt. (laughs) It's like that scarlet letter and it's permanent at that point. The other thing that Nellie did that she's arguably more well known for is traveling around the world in 72 days. It's a little more of an uplifting portion of her career. I'm really intrigued first by her move from this insane asylum world to traveling around the world. If I think about being shut in for 10 days like that, all I would want to do is see the world too. So I think it was pretty genius of her to kind of propose that and to then go on the the paper's dime. So my question, I think for you, and I know you've done a lot of promotion coaching and and career coaching, so bringing it into kind of that world, how do you think pitching a specific idea and asking for it as opposed to just waiting for something to be handed to you, like how does getting detailed in an ask affect your life and how it pans out. It's something that Nellie did over and over, and it comes through in why she's so well-known. Her ideas, the assignments that she assigned to herself were better than the ones they were assigning to her, and she knew it. You have an idea that is a good idea, and you can pitch it with the angle of how this will benefit the company, then it's probably actually going to end up reflecting better on you than if it was assigned. Yeah. I like that angle of benefiting the company. I think that's probably key. To travel the world, I can't imagine was cheap in 80 days. And the newspaper made that. And it it got them a ton of publicity. The newspaper was running a poll. How long do you think it's going to take her? And they received between half a million and a million guesses. So people were just following this journey. It brought so much readership and the paper definitely benefited from it. Yeah. Speaking of people hearing of it, my final question is around... This other woman named Elizabeth Bisland, who I came across in some research, who worked at Cosmopolitan. Mm-hmm. So Cosmopolitan was a new publication at the time that this happened. And they got word that Nellie was about to take on this challenge. And so 
Nellie is just taking her time, kind of working to complete in under 80 days. But then Elizabeth wants to beat that time. So one of them heads east and the other one heads west. And they start to hear about each other through their travels. Once Nellie realizes that she is competing against a real life person instead of just a character from a book, she starts to book it a little bit quicker. And that's why she made it home in 72 days as opposed to 80. Elizabeth Bisland arrived four days later. They both did leave on the same day. So Nellie is the one that we hear of first because she she was quicker. She won. Oh my gosh. I didn't know this, but there's a quote that I found that says at one point in her trip, Nellie was caught in a storm on her way to Japan that threatened her timing. And she said, I'd rather go back to New York dead than not a winner. Yes. Okay. So that brings to mind my question. How do we think that competition among women in the workplace affects an outcome or affects them? It breaks my heart that her trip had this component. And I don't know if competition between women is is always bad. I mean, competition is natural. There's no way that we're all just going to band together all the time. You know, there has to be a balance of women supporting women and people supporting people and also us having our own interests. I think it's kind of weird, though, that they like left on the same day and like had to try to do this. I yeah. feel like that was that's on the Cosmo girl, though. Yes. Nelly did it, it was Nellie's idea first, right? It was, yeah. And Nellie didn't even know about this other girl for half the trip. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a doozy. What do you think about competition between women in the workplace? I think it can be healthy. And I'm a competitor by nature, so it's fun for me as long as it's like civil and at the end of the day, you know, you can be friends after. It does remind me of this speech excerpt from Beyonce's song Flawless, which is a part of a speech from Chimamandi Ngozi Didichie. And she says, we raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing but for the attention of men. We are so often competitors for attention, typically of the male gaze. So I really enjoy myself when I can be competitive with friends or colleagues in a different setting. And maybe still male gaze is part of that with a lot of executives being men, to be honest. But it just seems less, I don't know, it's more fun. (laughs) I had the exact same thought as you were wrapping up that quote of, well, if you look at it in this light, it's kind of cool that we're competing in the workplace. Another thing that quote made me think of is the balance between finding marriage and a supportive love life, and then also your work, and then also if you end up being a mother, of all the different things women balance in life. And there's this quote from Nellie that I love, but it also unsettles me a little bit. It says, nonsense. If you want to do it, you can do it. The question is, do you want to do it? It like made me sit back and I was like, She's just saying, well, if you're not doing it, you just don't want it badly enough. What I would say to Nellie, if she was telling me, you know, I can have it all, I can do everything all at once, I would say, I think you need to choose which one do you want the most. Mm -hmm. And I love how you always split life into seasons. And, you know, you talked earlier about a dark season and then a light season. And there might be seasons where different things are more important to us. You might be in like a super work-heavy season or a super marriage-heavy season. And then all of a sudden, you're in a family and a caretaking season. So that's really beautiful, too. All right. Well, my favorite part of you doing the bio for this episode was that you were inspired to dabble just a little bit in poetry. I tried. I know. And you did great. I loved where your head was at. 
I did my best to take it and run with it a little bit, but I would love if you would read your first two lines because I kept those exactly as they are. I love. So yeah, can you please read them? Undercover in a madhouse. Does that make her mad herself? Scratching to not be seen. Screaming to not be heard. What's worse, looking clueless or crazy? Escape the room with no hints. Her key iron will. Creeks a doorway to orbit. I said I could and I would and I did. What's worse? She'd rather be crazy. There we go. A collab poem. My favorite so far. (laughs) Thanks for working off my lines. I like those first two too. Absolutely. (laughs) If you enjoyed the show, please rate it give us some feedback we're always looking to improve we're excited to be over halfway through of this first season and join us next week as we chat through christine jorgensen who was america's first transgender sweetheart we're looking forward to jumping into that so thank you again for tuning in on behalf of myself and co-host katrina we will see you next week see you next week